After Babylon, the people are scattered, and the hope of human progress seems lost. How will God begin to fix the broken world? Find out today on The Bible Brief. In our last episode, we saw Noah curse his grandson, Canaan, as he blessed his other two sons. Then we saw the land repopulate after the flood until we got to the city of Babylon, the proud city that wanted to make a name for itself. God thwarted the plans of the people and scattered them across the land as he had mandated. We ended the episode with a discussion of two paths that humanity had taken up to that point. One path was the path of Abel and Noah, who despite imperfections, nevertheless walked with God and found favor with him. The other path was the path of continued rebellion with murder, deceit, dishonor, and pride. In the narrative so far, it appears that the second path is the most popular one. Eleven chapters into Genesis, it seems like people are stuck in their corruption. The world needs fixing, but apparently the humans can't fix it. It's at this point that we meet a man from a city just southwest of Babylon called Ur. We talked at length about Ur in our 10-step run-through, so I won't go through it again here. Instead, I want to note something interesting about the city's location. In the Bible so far, it's one of the furthest cities in the east. Since the garden, the people have been traveling east. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden to the east. Cain was banished from the area of Eden to the east. And Babylon was built as people journeyed east. So far in the narrative, eastern travel seems to be the result of sin. And here we are in Ur one of the easternmost cities mentioned in the Bible so far. Perhaps the furthest city from God, furthest from the garden, deepest in the corruption of sin. And it's from this city that God picks his man, Abram. Abram is a wealthy man living in the city of Ur who worships a false god. And God decides that Abram will be part of his plan that begins to take shape here. Remember what God said to Abram in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So begins God's promises to Abram in the Abrahamic covenant that we discussed at length in our 10-step run-through. Now we summarize the covenant with three words. Do you remember what those words are? Land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, a multitude of seed or offspring, and that one of those seed would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. So instead of focusing on the content of the promises, this time around we're going to focus on something else. The phrase, I will. Listen again to what we just read, but listen particularly for the phrase, I will. God says this, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Here's the point to this exercise. God himself is going to do these things. The only condition that Abraham has is to leave his land and false god to go to the land that the true God will show him. Once he's there, God is going to do all these great things for him. Now from here we're going to fast forward a bit and get to the point where Abram is in the land, and he and God are having a conversation when God comes to him in a vision. 
It says this in Genesis 15. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me, since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram has been in the land of Canaan for a while now, and he still hasn't had any children. He's beginning to question how this is all going to work. How is he going to become a great nation and a father of a multitude when he hasn't had any children? Yet God reassures him that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Abram is going to have lots and lots of descendants, even if he can't understand how yet. And we read that Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Believing that God would do what he said in the future results in something. It results in God giving him something now, and that something is positive righteousness. In exchange for Abram's faith, God gave Abram something that humans can't get for themselves because of their sin-corrupted condition. God gave Abram righteousness, a quality of rightness before God instead of wrongness before him. This is monumental, so remember this moment as we move through the Bible. We'll reference it again and again. And in the age of Messiah, we'll see that Abram becomes an example to all who have faith in Messiah and get righteousness. As we fast forward even a bit more to Genesis chapter 17, we have another scene of God's promises to Abram that results in something that may be rather odd to us today. Abram gets a new name. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that's between me and you, and your offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant between your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. In a reiteration of the covenant, including many more I will statements on God's behalf, we see God continuing to state what he will do through Abram. And God signifies this new role for Abram by changing his name. Abram, whose name means exalted father, gets renamed by God. His new name, Abraham, includes the promises that God has made. Abraham means father of a multitude. Despite the promise remaining unfulfilled to this point, God is giving Abraham a new identity that corresponds to the promise rather than his past. Again, God is giving Abraham a new and better identity that corresponds to God's promise rather than to Abram's past. 
It's at this point in this jog through that we're finally going to get down to brass tacks on identity. We've hinted and reiterated that there's an identity crisis going on in the human race, but we haven't really explained it yet. And we need to start understanding it because it will grow in relevance as we continue through the Bible. In the garden, God had set up an authority structure where God was the top, then man, then woman, then the animals and the earth. If you reread the creation account, you'll discover something interesting. This structure is represented based on the function of naming. God names the man Adam, then Adam names all the animals prior to Eve's creation, and then Adam names his wife, woman, and then Eve. Each of these identities, represented by names, is carried forward in the story. Adam's name simply means man, and Eve's name means mother of all living. We get this picture of identities being caught up in the names of the people. This is a theme that carries forward, especially in the book of Genesis, but even into the next four books of the Bible, especially when major people's names are discussed. So in this narrative of Abram, we're supposed to pay special attention to this name change. God is doing something new with Abram. So the first point to note here is that names matter, and the second point is similar. Names are given, not earned. Did you earn your name before you were born? Did your parents rename you after a significant event in your life? Probably not. Your parents simply named you and that name stuck. And for most of you, you didn't try to change your name. But let's dwell on that possibility for a moment. Why would someone change their name? While I'm sure there are reasons beyond this, it's probably safe to say that people want a new identity when they change their name. They want to escape their old life and create something new for themselves. The point is this that names are all about identity. Which brings us to the third point. Identity is something bestowed, just like a name. Identity is something given to a person, not discovered by a person. This isn't very relatable to our culture. After all, we've been taught that you can be whatever you want to be, or we're encouraged to find yourself. Here's the thing. That's not how the Bible looks at the world. Instead, identity is something bestowed by someone else. Now, that's not to say that identity can't change. After all, we see that with Abraham. The key is that Abraham isn't the one who changed it. God did. While Abraham was being obedient to follow God's call to go to the land of Canaan, he still didn't do anything to change his identity. Do you remember the words we discussed earlier in the episode as God made promises to Abram? God said, I will, I will, I will. God was the one doing the real work. So, names matter. Names are given, not earned. And identity itself is bestowed. The human identity crisis so far in the Bible is this. Outside of a few people that walked with God, each generation tries to build its own identity apart from God. The people try to do things their own way, instead of living in the identity that God gave Adam and Eve and then Noah. The people were to be fruitful fillers of the land, exercising dominion over it while they walked with God. Remember what God said? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Instead, the first 11 chapters of Genesis culminated with a people in the city of Babylon who wanted to make a name for themselves. But as we know, identity is bestowed not earned. And with an unfruitful, childless man living far east from Eden, we see God bestowing a new identity. Abraham, 
father of a multitude. How does an old childless man become a father? Join us next time as we begin to see how God accomplishes his promises to Abraham. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for the show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.